Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. I'm talking with Kyle Silvestro of SciTrue.com, S-Y-T-R-U-E.com. We're going to talk about natural language processing and uh, the work that SciTrue does. So, Kyle, how are you doing? Doing well. Yourself? Good. Thanks for being here. Um, yeah, so w- would you give listeners just an overview of what you do in the realm of NLP and, and uh, what SciTrue does? Yeah, so as I think about the problem... Um, I've been in the business for more than a decade now, so it's kind of interesting to see see the evolution of, of this occur from a commercial perspective. You know, and one of the things I've always said is, you know, being in this business, it's interesting to see how things have failed over the evolution of, you know, evolution of this technology. So when thinking about that problem, really you have to have the ability for the computer to read and understand human language. And then from there, you have to be able to put in context. But it's just not enough to be able to say, okay, let me read it and put it in context. You have to be able to make um, information actionable. And if you look at that in the context of healthcare, that's a challenge in the problems that we suffer today. Um, in healthcare, every year there are 2 billion documents created, meaning things that somebody has to actually read around patient's right. care, which accounts to about 70% of the information that's currently available. And then right. if you look at that information, that information is needed anywhere between 20 to 40 different reasons downstream, meaning I have to give it to a specialist. It has to be used for billing. It's sent to a referral. It's sent to another hospital to read. And so somebody actually has to read that document multiple times. So you create a problem that really is an exponential problem in nature. You're creating too much information that nobody can consume. So how do you take a you know, technology that's been somewhat pervasive and nascent, which is saying, how do I teach a computer to understand human language, read, and articulate that, and put okay. it in such a way where you're able to go through that information, leverage that data in context, meaning a patient has cancer, they don't have a heart attack, they possibly have a certain diagnosis, and then be able to take that information and turn into actionable data that can drive downstream insights to ultimately impact care. Well, that goes way beyond just reading some text and understanding it. How, how are you depending on people to do this or computers to do this or a combination? You can't throw enough humans at the problem. If you were to think about the challenges that the U.S. would present, to throw humans and the cost of humans at the documents that are being created every year is a you know, multi-billion dollar challenge. And that's doing nothing but just reading information. If you look at what's created every single day, by the time you and I get off the phone here today, there's going to be almost 400,000 new documents created. Um, So there's 8 million million a day, right, being created. So you you don't have enough people to throw at this. So you have to automate this process. And if you think about the problem, that's a problem that, is really rampant in healthcare today. We have to, as a government, adjudicate every claim, but we don't staff enough people to read every single chart to say, yes, we should pay something or no, we shouldn't. 
And in this context, you can review 100% of that information, addressing problems such as 300 billion plus a year in fraud, addressing challenges around you know, readmission, social security disability claims, because you solve the human problem and the computer then is able to read and leverage this data that's created across a lifetime of an individual called the longitudinal record. And then against that, you can actually start applying logic rules, true really artificial intelligence, to start discovering what you didn't know or automating so many processes right now that are just an, a waste on our system. And if you so think about that, the, um, right now, every 30 cents on every yeah. dollar, and even more than that, okay. is spent on administrative costs in healthcare. It's not even taking really? care of a patient. So it's not that we need, you know... <laughs> insurance reform, we need, you know, really, let's get the outcomes and let's remove the administrative burdens that have been put in place. At 30%, it almost sounds like you're, uh, you have to bill someone to review the bill. Well, that's exactly <laughs> the case. Out. Well, and, and if you Crazy. look at hospital departments and staffing and the amount of money that, you know, is taken by that sector, it's amazing. Whereas if you use data, right, information like, a lot of other areas, you can take, um, which all hospitals, insurance companies, and actually CMS use, a criteria, meaning something that are guidelines around medical necessity and appropriateness of care, meaning if a, ho if a patient is in a bed and the hospital is performing services and those services are medically justified, meaning we're doing this to save their life, we're doing this to diagnose something, and that is justified, why should they have to bill? Yep, and the sense. challenges here today is that CMS, right, the largest parent in the nation, doesn't have a way to be able to consume this data to make an automated decision. So what they force people to do is say, here are seven areas that you can put checkboxes and another four below that, and then you can submit that bill. So the process is never designed about are you, submit, are you doing something that's going to get the patient better it was about trying to ease like a Scantron in, you know, in high school um, to have checkboxes to fill out that they could start to streamline the process, but really have no checks and balances in place. But all along, you had physicians creating documentation. So if you can leverage that documentation and apply that in real time, you really could eliminate that whole process. And in doing so, I mean, there's a trillion dollars at stake. And that trillion dollars can be, you know, pay for healthcare reform, you know, four times over. Well, reduce mistakes in care. I mean, overprescription, all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, there's a lot of efficiencies. I'm sure you can be gotten out of it. Well, I mean, if you start talking about the genetic aspects and all of the other data points, right now, that you can start correlating against an individual. Um, what might be known is pretty immense and how you can start interacting then, right, with patients. And as you start talking about what other technologies come into play, right, you can start customizing messages via, you know, natural language generation based on a patient's background, their, so, you know, socioeconomic status, their, you know, whether it's their uh, English is their first, second, third, or fourth or fifth language, Right, whether they're 10 years old or whether they're 88 years old, it doesn't right. matter at that point because you're able to tailor an individualized content in such a way that it can be consumed 
right, by the intended audience. And, and that and that point, you're you know impacting lives through behavior change, right, or education that are enabling others to make more informed decisions. Well, let's uh, before we move on. I mean, I see there's tons of benefits. I understand. I guess it's funny, you know. Normally, I'd ask that, what are the benefits? But technically, what can computers do so far, and where can they help, and how can they help, and where is the um, the end of the line for them where they can't help yet, but you want to push that boundary. What steps the process? Now, I'm going to talk about this more in the context of healthcare than, you know, generally yeah. speaking. Um, right. No, that's fine. You know, that's I, fine. I, I, okay. I think we're at the very infancy of, of what's possible. Um, as we start to think about what can be done, right, let's pie in the sky a little bit. And if we think about, you know, the most remote areas around the globe, some maybe uh, sub-Saharan Africa, maybe it's India, maybe, maybe it's uh, you know, a couple other areas which are maybe which are very economically challenged. But through the revolution of cell phones, you know, we have now created a connected society. That connected society is banking now, and not only the banking, they're actually getting life insurance. Interesting, you know, dynamic there. And if you're now a life insurance company that is, you know, financing or providing, you know, benefits to, you know, individuals around the world based upon financial data or transactions or, you know, some other metrics, it's in your best interest, quite possibly, to enable um, early diagnosis because, you know, the longer people live, uh, the more premiums you collect, right? The, the, the more uh, return, you know, in, in that situation, somebody so. will make off, off their money. But in, and in cell so. phones, people communicate via natural language, right? But they don't necessarily communicate, hey, I have a myocardial infraction and I need to go to the hospital because really I'm having a heart attack, right? They're, they're saying, hey, my, my chest hurts. You know, I may have left leg pain, um, and, and that's being communicated, whether via social media or text, text, text you know, exchanges that can be handled, you know, in this case, by you know, a bot or a human at the other end. And as that data is coming through, right, it's being assimilated. And if you think about that problem in the dialects, right, you may have 10,000 different ways that you might say heart attack, whether that's in, um, you know, English, Mandarin, French, whatever uh, that might I see. be. I see. And just in America alone, you have 600,000 physicians, right, that all document differently, write differently, misspell differently. So you really have a Tower of Babel problem. And so how do you take this information now and normalize it? In this case, how do you extract, right, information? Well, you can start creating inferences that said, hey, this individual, you know, has pneumonia. How do we, in a, you know, how do we send a, a shipment of, penicillin via drone, right, a delivery to this area. Hmm. I mean, that, that's the type of impact that you can start to have if you look at this really globally, um, you know, not just with, you know, our technology, but a, a number of the other enablers that allow something like that to occur. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, you're right, because if I have, um, <clears throat> let's say, again, someone thinks they're going to have a heart attack, some people may say my arm is numb. Some people may say my head hurts. Some people may say I can't breathe. And they could say all those things in different ways, if they could even speak at all. So you'd have to not only understand what they're saying 
and figure it out, but then correlate it possibly to a condition and then take action based on that, that correlation and the, the probability of it being X, it being X. So I can see that there's a lot of facets to the problem. Right. And, and so that's, you know, ultimately, right, the utopia of where we end up, <laughs> um, hmm. you know, through this health, digital health care reform. But you know, and but along the way, right? We got a lot of different processes. So it's 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 interesting because technologists, uh, you know, us that are in this world, you know, we, we kind of know sometimes problems that are being solved. But it's interesting how quickly communities grasp on keywords and buzzwords and say, "I'm going into into this space. We're going to go go solve this." And, and a lot of times, in what I've seen and, and what we see today is. They go after it, but not fundamentally, you know, a lot of organizations don't fundamentally understand the challenges that are inherent just in what it is that they're looking to solve. So if you think about what we try to solve today, what we try to solve and what we opened up with was natural language processing. Well, that's great, all right? People have a very basic concept of that in, in their mind if they know what it is at all. And it's starting to become more and more prevalent today, right? So you're seeing a lot more companies say, I do this. But at the end of the day, if you think about the problem, the problem isn't necessarily that, right? That's a technology. That's a tool. It's a vehicle to solve that problem or solve okay. problems. It, what you need is a – not an engine, right, because that, that, that's what people think of NLP as – is you need a Ferrari, Right? You need that engine in a car that, that contains machine learning. You need that in that car that's going to have a supervised you know, machine learning and an unsupervised machine learning approach that can then build on top of that. You need a platform, right? a chassis right? for all that to sit on, and you need that brain in order for that thing to interact with, with itself so, and be able to pass you know, information and knowledge amongst itself. You need a terminology server, translation tool, right? a bookshelf knowledge base, if you want to think of it that way, in order to interpret what is being you know, presented. And then you need a whole lot of okay. other things to say, this is important or this is noise. Right? So as you start thinking about the, you know, the intake system and you start thinking about how that actually you know, energy flows through a car or a highway, it's about what is wrapped around that that enables that engine to really be successful. And the same, I think, is true in you know, a technology like NLP or AI or uh, deep learning, image rec, you know, all the same connotations for a lot of very similar things just being applied in different ways. So can you go a little bit technical and uh, tell people what parts of this have been solved and which parts are still not solved and maybe why? You know, maybe break down the problem into a few pieces and just so people get an idea where where technology is at, you know, because they'll have all kinds of wild ideas. Oh, it's possible. Oh, it's impossible. It's, you know, and reality is very different. You know, um, AI, cognitive computing, NLP, right? It's been around and being discussed since forties. I mean, so at this point, what? I mean, you're seventy, eighty, you're seventy years into this, eighty years into this. Mm -hmm. it, so it, it, it's not, um, you know, and it feels right all of a sudden that it's creeping up and tapping people on the shoulder. But, you know, to, to Kurzweil's point, right, when they were looking at the Genome Project, you know, and he said they got to 1%, he said they're halfway done. You know, and, and was right. And if you look at what, you know, Peter's saying, and, you know, in abundance, you're having these kind of super hives, this colonization, right, this organizational layer that's actually occurring. 
you know, through, I mean, almost you think of it through bi- biological evolution that's occurring within sciences today. And you're seeing the advancements of which are occurring at a rate that weren't previously possible. Uh, had I started SciTrue five years earlier than I did, it wouldn't, what we're doing today would not have been possible. It's because of these, you know, advancements around me, around us, that, and in what we're doing that's enabling, um, you know, thing the, the story to be coming to light now. Whereas a lot of folks are saying, waking up and saying, "Ha, huh, I'm hearing this about, you know, for the first time." Most of us that have been in this field, you know, have seen this shift coming, but it, it's coming at such a cliff, you know, such an exponential rate. Um, you know, change from last year to this year is. I could say more dramatic than it was, you know, a change from the year before last in what we're able to do. So I would say, I mean, as you look at this problem, there are things today that are solved that a lot of organizations that want to solve it are going to have to, you know, resolve this problem. As we think about generalized healthcare, generalized medicine, and being able to extract problems, procedures, medications, allergies, immunizations, um, past procedures, future procedures, family history, social history, past medical history. This problem is solved, right? And, and that's 50% of medicine. 40% of medicine is primary care. That's solved today. So wow. those organizations that want to go out and recreate that, they're, as soon as they start developing, right, they're at a loss because it may, maybe or maybe not they catch up. But compared to out of the box day one, having this challenge solved and then going from there to build on top of it. Um, and really, it's, it's not so much that. It's going to be it sits with on top of the data that is yet to come. Well, we'll talk about the yet to come in one second. But for right now, problems that are solved is one thing, but widespread adoption and it becoming the standard of care or the standard of use, it seems to be like a whole different deal. The stuff you're talking about and the stuff that we talk about in this podcast, you know, I call it around the corner, early adopter type stuff, but how do you get it into the mainstream? What's left now for the portion that you say is solved to to become mainstream? When's it going to happen and how? We have what I would call almost a monopoly in healthcare. You really have three organizations that um, have been around since, you know, late 60s or 70s that dominate. Um, almost 100% of the hospitals across America, you know, let's say 80%, 90%, that all have a system that's based on a closed system mentality. And that is the biggest impediment right now, I believe, in healthcare that's preventing, you know, this inertia from actually being leveraged and rolled out, which is not insignificant. So let's not displace, display, you know, display how small that is. Right. Um, and these organizations have a vested interest in maintaining that closed-loop system. So, for example, and this may be changing, but it's not changing at such a pace where the you know it's keeping up with the rate of innovation. There is not a way for us to share information or, or share data succinctly to in today's closed systems, and it's about the, and which I think you're, the, the market is seeing, is the democratization of these open platforms, right, that enable fluid data exchange in combined with a growing e-patient movement. Together, these okay. two 
that are being combined really set the stage for what is coming in the future. But I believe, you know, in the, you know, and it's not that things have, these technologies haven't been adopted because when you look at computer-assisted coding, it's been widely adopted throughout the industry. It's now the industry is making a shift and saying, oh, my goodness, I need to look at clinical care. I need to look at 100% of the information rather than 30% of the data, which is all that's actually required for billing, about that, about a third of the information. So you have 70% of the data that's never been looked at, not been thought about because they didn't get paid about it, despite the fact that's really where the juicy information is that's going to impact the patient's lives going forward. So where the change is going is looking at saying, we need a longitudinal, right? We need cradle-to-grave data about our patients. The patients need to own information, and that information needs to follow them wherever they're going so people have the complete picture to eliminate all of these downstream challenges, right? And if you had that data model, this is where your AI, this is where your intelligence, right, come in. Most analytics vendors today are just putting different color lipstick on the pig, unfortunately. They're using old claims data. They're putting new dashboards on it, and they're presenting it as new information. At the end of the day, they're missing the reality that 70% of that data is not in that information and is going to increase the you know, accuracy of their models, their machine learning, their AI-based models, by orders of magnitude um, you know, over what they currently have. So right now, at least in my opinion, people are selling bad data that don't represent realistic outcomes. And until you see the whole picture, you're not going to be able to present um, true data that's going to refine, you know, healthcare. I guess it's like the old story of the blind men that are touching an elephant and the ones that touch the trunk think it's a snake and the ones that touch another part of it think it's something else, but no one's seeing the whole elephant. So it sounds like that's what's going on here, and that's why mistakes are made and problems happen. Well, it's a a great analogy. I mean, that's, (laughs) I mean, fantastic. But, you know, it's those vendors that are so entrenched that are preventing. So even though you have these new standards, I can't go put Mm -hmm. data into one of these systems. They don't have good protocols to be able to enable that to happen, which Mm -hmm. is a problem. So you have to be able to think about a world where the data isn't going to be at the electronic medical record because they're just stupid, really, at the end of the day, dumb databases. You need an right. intelligent layer that sits on top of this, which I think of more as a superhighway, right, that are enabling different pieces. You know, that data just flows through the middle of it, but you're enabling different on-ramps for different, you know, uh, really apps, right, uh, communities that are looking at that data to provide new insights. And those so communities could be clusters of vendors, right, that, that, that provide that. Yeah. I know when it comes to exponential technologies like this, it's really hard, but what's your feeling, your guess, on what's going to be possible by the end of this year? And then contrast that the next three to five, will, uh, the technology will be able to do just specifically in the realm of medical data and interpretation and patient care. Yeah, so if you, you know, kind of – if this is solely technology-based, um, you know, I think what you're going to see by, year, by year's end, um, you know, is the accurate prediction of congestive heart failure and the stage that somebody is at within congestive heart failure over a population. 
um, including risk factors that are going to lead somebody to have congestive heart failure. Um, right. I see dynamic staging of oncology. So I see cancer state data um, and information across a patient's record of cancer to be accurately and appropriately staged, you know, enabling different treatment patterns and outcomes. I see technology being deployed that is going to predict in 15-minute intervals if somebody is going to be end up in intensive care versus, you know, that have been admitted through the emergency room. Mm, I okay. see us predicting radiology utilization um, and, you know, um, I guess from utilization and uh, utilization like has never been done, you know, routing critical patients to your know, radiologists, you know, in near real time to be reviewed. So, you know, eliminating wow. both delays and eliminate, elimination of communication gaps, which already, you know, tech, this technology already exists to be missed. And I see, you know, the, really the marrying of the pathology and, and radiology data in order to provide, you know, primary care providers new insights, you know, into diseases that they, current, you know, currently don't have. Um, right. I see enterprise deployment. I mean, so, and I see this, you know, again, being done at scale. So, um, which are very, you know, which are huge elements, right, that are going to impact, uh, you know, 30 million patients, if you're talking about CHF, that, you know, equate to billions and billions of dollars in cost. What, um, who do you think are going to be the, the people that will help you monetize this data? Is it going to be insurance companies? Is it going to be individual patients? Will it be doctors that will be able to perform better because they have it? I mean, who do you think will be the real interested stakeholders that will, again, monetize this, pay for it so that it's worth doing? Um, we're seeing that at multiple levels already. Uh, if you think about it from this problem, though, I mean, at today, the insurance companies are the individuals that are most likely to house all of this information, at least from a historical claims perspective, right, or CMS. So from a first lay, and they're the, they're the organizations that have a vested interest in order to, um, you know, let's say democratize this data throughout their organization so they can improve the care of their patients, I mean, old of their, I mean, ultimately their clients, right? Which who are essentially their patients. Um, they also have the vested well, interest to identify physician networks that are providing high value care versus those that are providing, let's say, substandard care based upon you know national guidelines or standards. Yeah, the reason I asked, it, maybe it almost sounds silly, but you know what's rational. Uh, to us, may not be rational to the players involved. You know, hopefully it, it correlates, but it doesn't always. You know, you think, oh, insurance companies, they want to keep people alive uh, so they can suck premiums out of them forever. But maybe they don't. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like um, some behavior from some of these individuals runs contrary to what's rational. That's why I ask you, you know, like empirically, are you seeing that there is true interest from 
a lot of these stakeholders or potential stakeholders or their pockets of resistance or, you know, strange responses where, you know, this would help, but they're, they're not, uh, doesn't seem, they don't seem to be interested. Um, I know it's a weird question. It's just, no, it's, it's not, it's, um, emotions at time get in the way of data. Um, and business at times gets in the way of, of, of appearance, right? Um, I mean, I think if, if you look at people work on, on incentives, right? They work in, in the lines of the game that they kind of have to know to play within, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And um, especially as it comes to payments, right, and reimbursement models. Ultimately, you know, it's um, – and it comes down to data. So, I mean, so as I look at the problem, right, the problem that I see here is, yeah, it's a perception issue. Look, at I, I, I know this as well as anybody. When I was in my late 20s, um, healthy, you know, fit, wasn't long ago, I got denied mm-hmm. insurance three different times. First time I got denied insurance because they told me I had cellulitis um, from a tetanus shot that I'd received more than two years ago and any, because I stepped on a rusty nail. And anybody knows right. that if I had that and it had been around two years from now, I would be dead. I wouldn't be applying for insurance. Uh, I got uh, denied for uh, another visit in the same encounter for another visit to go with somebody for a, that I had to go get a letter to say that the problem was actually resolved. It was a chest cold or something. Then I got. Hmm. Then they they questioned another visit. So I literally had to go back to my providers that were benign incidences, nothing else, no surgeries, no accidents, nothing denied. I went and appealed it. They said, "Oh, well, the ninety days ran out. Now you have to reapply." I reapply again. I get denied. Right. <laughs> no explanation. No reason why. Um, I apply again to another company, and then finally, you know, I get accepted at a high value, high premium. Yeah, again. No health record, no issues, nothing. 100% healthy in the healthiest you know age range possible. You know all vital signs, everything good. So so right. which makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, and again, you're self-employed, right? You have no options, you have no choices. But you know if this was a data decision, right? Instead of you know human decision, which it was at this point in time, and uh, it was an overload problem, and you actually had the information where you can make appropriate decisions, you're able to actually streamline this process. And I think insurance companies and the market does care, but I don't believe the incentives have ever been there in order for them to make a shift. And unfortunately, you know, um, uh, capitalism isn't necessarily, uh, you know, at times it's very altruistic, right? They they want to make sure that they can do what they need to do in order to, to ensure the bottom line is being met. But I believe right. that ultimately people care, and they do want to make an impact, and they do want to do good. But until now, again, everybody's been playing with a limited view on information. So really, there have been no, yeah, and there's been no incentives to change that dynamic um, okay. until now. And the incentives are there now, where you know people have to make a shift. And if we were to truly have competition, you know, those that were able to identify and bring in high quality clients, high quality patients that they knew their predictive models were going to be pretty good, that their outlay wasn't going to be that great, but 
you know, they incentivize them to maintain that type of lifestyle, I think you'd have interesting adoption. I mean, if you look at Discovery out of South Africa, they enable patients to share their data and they get a 25% rebate off their premium to do it. They also Hmm. say, if you share your car data with me, we'll give you a 25% premium off your car insurance. And then, you know, they already had their health data. They started sharing their life data with them, and they got a 25% premium off their data. Discovery is the largest health insurance company in South Africa. They are the most, one of the most profitable companies. But their whole premise was, we, you know, share your data with us. We will incentivize you to do it. They gave out free Apple Watches. If you worked out, you did what you needed to do, you got the watch for free. That's cool. You know, their clients are some of the healthiest clients around. Wow. So it's interesting when you change the incentives, right? Or when you start from scratch and you look at it and say, how do we redo or how do we rethink about the problem? And now if we had the data, how do we actually manage then from that perspective? And, And the challenge comes back to it's been a human problem, right? Two billion documents being created. You can't throw enough people at it to solve this problem. And so it's unless you use technology and leverage technology, you're not going to be able to um, address it adequately. And you need to be able to create an enterprise really publishing system, if you think about it that way, enterprise content management, right? Kind of going back to maybe some old terms where you have all this data coming in. You have OCR data. That's really right. You have images that need to be OCR. And OCR is bad. So you got to be able to have a pipeline that could bring in OCR data that can clean it, normalize it, use it, and then be able to turn it into text. That text needs to go through an NLP. That NLP needs to turn it into data. That data needs to be published based upon you know, rules or dynamics to the appropriate individuals or you know, areas within organizations or algorithms, you know, if you think of it from that perspective. Yeah. And you know, that starts to drive downstream outcomes at that point because you've now eliminated the human bottleneck. You take six months Social Security disability wait times for our veterans, and you make an immediate decision. Yeah, it's very powerful, yeah. It would help a lot. And you're right, there's no way to throw enough people at the problems to make it work. So this has to go I'm this way, this automation way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can never throw people at the problem. And in the way of building a technology like this, it's not about people, right? It's not about the mythical man hour. You know, it's about having, you know, really focused, dynamic teams, right, that can do what they're very good at and tap into the power of the community to be able to enable others to do what they're good at. You know, and, and that type of, you know, community is really starting to form around healthcare and life sciences. That's great. Well, all right, Kyle. I mean, uh, I can tell you're really passionate about this, and it's a you know it's a huge problem to solve, real thorny one. But I'm glad there's people like you involved. Um, anything else that we should have talked about that we didn't cover that you want to explain? No, I mean, I think uh, you know it's going to be interesting to figure out really in the next decade what we thought we knew that we that we'd gotten wrong, and you know uh, enable a enable a path for correction. Um, you know, and in, in doing so, hopefully we could solve some of uh, you know, our greatest challenges. You know, mine personally would be cancer. So how do we enable, you know, how do we enable that hurdle to be crossed? Um, and I yep. guess I, I would leave you with one thought there. It's uh, how do you give patients, how do you enable patients to take an active role in their care where you add value? 
And I think that's the big shift that's missing in the uh, in the in that movement today. If you can add value into somebody's life, where you enable them to upload their records, be able to process that data, match them with the clinical trial, and give them feedback in near real time, you're going to improve patients' care and add value in the process. Definitely, definitely. So, yeah, it's that type of okay. uh, you know areas that I think will make an impact. Well, very good. So for listeners that want to find out more about what you're doing and start interacting with you, what's the best way? Is there a website or how do they do it? Yeah, they can go to www.sitrue.com or email me personally at uh, kyle at sitrue.com. Okay, Kyle. Well, I really appreciate your time. It's been an interesting interview. Thank you for yours. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.